I first met Lauren 11 years ago when she moved back to Philly with her partner, Ben. Ben and I were co-workers and office mates in grad school, but you'll hear more from Ben later on this season as he is also a guest for season two. I wanted to bring Lauren on the show because she's an elementary school teacher, mother, performer, bartender, and just all around badass. Every single aspect of her livelihood was impacted by the pandemic, and I really appreciated getting to learn more about her experiences. Even though I saw Lauren quite regularly during lockdown, well, virtually that is, since she and Ben were on our weekly virtual Quizzo team, this interview was the first time I learned of her distinguished teaching award and the work that helped her earn it. She created a brave space for her students and gave them a creative outlet to express their thoughts and emotions. She goes into detail about the positive impact of this classroom community. I wish that this form of group therapy was set up in classrooms and workplaces everywhere. I checked in with Lauren this week to see how her semester was going since we recorded right before she was going back into the classroom. She said, the semester is going great right now, despite the fact that I'm May, end of school year, tired in October. My students are amazing and I just had friends and family donate 200 books to my classroom library. My other library was basically destroyed by mold and mice during the pandemic school closure. Feel free to share my Amazon wish list for my classroom. Smiley face emoji. You can find the link to Lauren's Amazon wish list in the show notes, or feel free to message me via Instagram at Beyond the Venue Podcast, and I'm more than happy to send you the link. Thanks so much for listening, and enjoy the following episode with Miss O's Community Classroom. The kids are all right with Lauren Abosian. My guest today is Lauren Abosian. Uh, she is a professional singer, bartender, mother to a three-nager. That is a new term for me, and I absolutely love it. Uh, and she's also a teacher. We have gotten to spend a lot of virtual time together over this past year and a half as we were on the same virtual Quizzo team, and Lauren literally knows everything. Uh, we, <laughs> we won a lot of Saturday nights at our weekly Quizzo, thanks to her. Um, and I absolutely loved her answer when um, I asked her what, what's important to her. Black Lives Matter, get vaccinated, and quit riding your bike on the sidewalk. I am here for this content. So Lauren, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So we actually met through your partner, Ben, who is also going to be a guest um, this season of Beyond the Venue podcast. But the two of you have such like rich, fascinating things going on that I thought it was very important to interview you separately, um, seeing as how, you know, you've got just such a completely different background versus his um, as, you know, all of the things that I had listed before between your performing, your bartending. Um, so what, you know, what, what have kind of the last 16 years looked like for you as both a mother and a teacher or even as a performer? Um, the last 16 months. Um, Did I say years? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> let's get that started. Yeah. Fire off another cup of coffee. Uh, the last 16 months. Yeah. Um, well, starting up as a teacher, I think that one, you, to being a teacher is always unpredictable. So when the schools kind of shut down, they shut down in the middle of action happening. So not knowing what was going to happen next. And I think everybody thought, oh, well, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. And then you never walked into your school. So then when it came for a new year to start, as a teacher, knowing that we would be virtual. We, I was pretty fortunate because 
I'm very close with my grade partner. And I was going to ask what, what, um, what grade do you teach or what classes do you teach? I teach fourth and fifth grade ELA and social studies. And when the pandemic struck, I was teaching third and fourth grade. So my grade partner and I decided, cause we, I teach at a school that um, is really small. So there's only one grade, one class per grade. So I teach all of third grade with my grade partner, who's math and science and all of fourth grade. And then pandemic struck, we called up all of our kids. We got them online. We dropped off computers at their houses. My principal is awesome. And she kind of was just like, yeah, okay. I'll look the other way while you steal all the Chromebooks from your room. (laughs) Kids got supplies. We made sure that we had every parent's number. We got groceries to kids. Like, meanwhile, the world is imploding with many, many things happening, but we got connected with our students. So because of that close relationship that we we forged towards the end of the year, we kind of said to the principal, like, hey, we worked really hard to maintain like this relationship with students for these two grades. We want to stay with them. So we both moved to fourth and fifth grade and stayed with our kids, which kind of struck this thing with the whole school where the rest of our school was like, that's a great idea because we've just worked hard to build this, thinking about kindergarten students that were in school for the first time, going to first grade, having them learn a new teacher is really hard. So all of my school from K to five shifted. And most of them are going back to their original grades this year, but my grade partner and I are staying in fourth and fifth, which means one class will have us for the third year in a row, which they are so happy about because we're terrifying and amazing, but they're like, you know, groaning their way through it. But, um, as far as the challenges with that, the students are growing and they have a lot of things that they're struggling with. So like, think about yourself in fourth and fifth grade and what you might've gone through. Um, and then put yourself in your living room with your parents, watching everything you do while you're, while you're learning. Um, there were no boundaries. Students would text us. They would, I would have students like texting me at 7 a.m. Like, can I skip class today? Um, thinking it's okay. Parents calling me, texting me at all times of day. There just was no end to school. It just was 24 hours. I never, I always felt like I was constantly having to learn what was going on with updating technology and new things that might work better. So I would be like at midnight doing a Nearpod course online to try to use it in my class the next day because it might be more efficient. So I just didn't sleep, didn't, like it was a lot. But um, the hard work paid off. My my grade partner and I had 100% attendance for fourth grade and I think 90% attendance for fifth grade for the entire wow. year. Which That's was the impressive. Is that, is that what led to your 2021 Lindbeck Award for Distinguished Teaching? <laughs> it's one of the things. Um, the reason why I was recognized was for classroom community. So I started to, um, at the end of the whole year, 20 to uh, 1920 and 2021 kind of blend together for me. But the, um, the, Every from we'll say from the murder of Brianna Taylor, when that happened, and my I teach in West Philly, and there was a person sh- uh, shot by a police officer around that same time while we were online, and things kind of shifted, and we realized that the education of our students was more than just trying to teach them, you know, 
how to read and write and grammar, but also right. like how to get through life when your grocery store is nearly being burned down in your community, right? And you you can't leave the house. So we started this classroom community morning meetings where um, we would pump the brakes and just talk about whatever's on their mind. My kids, we found like we wrote our own graffiti, we wrote poems, we did anything that we could do to express themselves to get like what they need out or nothing. Talk about nothing. Tell me about Roblox, you know? And so that almost left- seems like a form of kind of group therapy um, yeah. in a sense that I, I think that that is amazing. And I, you know, I, I wish that everybody was doing that. What an important, ah, it's one of the things that in my school now, everybody will do it. So it's, it became, I think that one of the reasons I was recognized for this award, um, you have to be nominated by three different people. So my principal nominated me and you have to be nominated by somebody outside. So it was, um, I, somebody, I don't know some, um, administrative person from the district that, uh, must have popped in my class or something, um, nominated me. And then another person that had won the award before. So it's kind of like by chance that you can get it. And it, you're not, I was nominated there. They choose 60 teachers out of the entire school district, which is like 15,000 teachers or something and 10, 15,000. So it's, it's really a great honor. And when, when it started, the morning meetings started as like, you know, saying hello, making sure that kids have a place to like feel engaged, but also feel comfortable in your, in your classroom. But then with everything going on in the world and who your students are, you know, and how they're in their search for identity, making it a place that's comfortable. So what I did is I switched it, letting my kids run the classroom and kind of just being like a facilitator, which so I model everything for them. Like, okay, so like, here's how this is going to go. Here's the rules, how's the norms, here's how we talk to each other. And then, you know, never push for anything. So when they're ready, they just open up and say like, oh, wait, pump the brakes. Did you hear about this business going on? Or I saw this meme and I don't get it. Is this supposed to be funny? What is it? You know, and like, we would put up pictures to see like what that meant to them, which was, um, January 6th insurrection as a social studies teacher it's like my duty to talk about it but it's also something where kids are fragile at fourth and fifth grade and you don't know what some students know you don't know with the parents also still there in the room most of the time with this lockdown what they're thinking and how much they want their kid to discuss and so I would just take pictures that were kind of that I would show my child right? And she's three, but also like, what's your understanding of this? Like, what does this mean to you? And just kind of have the kids like write one word that sums up what that picture means. And in some of those pictures, there was violence. Sometimes it was just like seeing an American flag next to a Confederate flag. They don't really understand what a Confederate flag means, but they, but, or what it stands for, because they're still learning that right now. But they, what they see in that flag means like hatred towards, towards them. I teach a 100% African-American class. So the, um, you know, and, and so that was something like, why, why are they walking through? Like, that's supposed to be a safe place. Like, look, are those people hiding? They got that. And they wanted to talk about it. And so like, sometimes they didn't have the words to express it then. So we would do like a jam board where they could like put things up and just like, 
creating a space that I, I like to call the brave space because you can't guarantee a safe space if you have no I love control. the term brave space. That's yeah. And so that's that's what led to the award, the classroom community and, and culture is what I was recognized for. And and your you your you and your students remained a hundred percent virtual this entire time. And will you continue to stay virtual? Um or are you returning to in person? We returned to in-person May. So with 14, I think it was 14 classes left for the students. I returned to the class, I think the classroom May 12th or that week. And then students a week or two late, students like the 23rd, 26th, whatever that week was, they began hybrid. And they and so I would teach one group of students Monday and Tuesday. And I only had like five or six kids sign up for Monday, Tuesday, and then five or six kids on Thursday, Friday. When they were in my classroom, I was simultaneously teaching the students who were online. So I would log on, have my computer, like we're here with you. And so I'm engaging with you, but I also have my students right in front of me. So I would have my, they'd be able to see the kids that are in the classroom on my, in in my Google meet behind me and interacting and, you know, like the one man band while I played the kazoo and the fiddle. So it was <laughs> that's where your, you know, your, your musical theater background yeah, came exactly. into play of mm. being able to just do it all and put on a show for these children. And you were only had the chance to do that for a couple of weeks because then school would wrap up in what, mid June. And yeah. so is this the model that you'll return to um, in a couple of weeks or is it going to be a hundred percent back in person? It's supposed to be a hundred percent in person, which um, one thing that I've learned during this is there's no hundred percent anything like we could <laughs> the truth. and they're like hey take your charger home with you because what they say today doesn't mean that it's correct tomorrow and yeah. that was that was the takeaway from last week's press conference and I know as as we're recording right now um Mayor Kenny is making some sort of press conference right now so I'm very curious to see what he's gonna say. Um I have a feeling it will probably have a mandatory mask mandate if I had to guess like either like having to show proof of vaccination or having to wear masks in certain areas I don't know we'll see what he says yeah and I'm I'm in support of that I know teachers right now are we have a mask mandate for students and teacher all faculty inside the building must wear a mask as well as students um there is not a vaccination mandate for the teachers, but that is something that the union is actually saying that they're in support of or petitioning that they would be in support of for all teachers to be vaccinated that can be if they're teaching in the classroom. Um, and so who knows? But um, as of right now, I will return to the building on the 23rd of August for preparing my classroom and doing my professional developments to get me ready. There's obviously curriculum changes and things that you have to get done in a week. But um, the, and then the students come back the following week, they start on the 31st and I'm supposed to have a full classroom. So I'll have- How many students is that? I don't know. So I'm- (laughs) Cause it's, I have a new, I'm the fourth grade homeroom teacher. So my fifth grade class, I talk to their, their parents all the time. If a student is leaving and not coming back, Usually they let me know. I had about, I had 23 fourth grade students that are moving to fifth grade. The third grade that's coming to me was a bigger class. There was 20, there were 29 of them and a new student. 
but parents were given the option to go virtual. The virtual academy is no longer run by the teachers simultaneously. They log into that separately. It's a separate class. They wouldn't even be on my role. So even though they can return to my classroom, I think they have to return like each um, marking period. They couldn't just like join one day and then go virtual another. But because I don't know those students so well, I don't know who pulled out of them. And they also had to apply through the district, not through my school. We won't know. But the uh, I talked to my vice principal yesterday and she said that they're calling all the parents today and we'll find out. But I, I'll probably ha- I'll probably have about 28 fourth graders. That's a lot. So what what was this past year and a half like being a mom having to, you know, was was I guess it's difficult because you know typically like you take the kids to daycare, but um, you know you even shared a story with me this morning about you know one of the kids in her daycare in a different pod contracting COVID. You know what what has just this last year and a half looked like? So when the school initially when everything shut down and she wasn't her daycare that she was at, she went to daycare right by where I work. And so when that shut down, she was home with me. So when classes started back up, Ben and I both being teachers teaching from the house, she was on my lap while I was teaching. Um, the days were shorter because I only taught an hour increments. I taught one hour live with fourth, one hour live with fifth. And they know her, they've met her in person. They love Violet. So if she was making noise or playing her piano or doing something, they supported that. They, they enjoyed it. And so coming back this year, one of the things like starting my morning meeting off is my kids would log on. I mean, class didn't start until eight 30 and I would open the room at seven 30, just because I was afraid that I would lose control of my settings because if a kid signed on earlier than you, they could, for some reason, mute the whole class, but <laughs> Violet would, uh, it say hi to the class. Anybody that came in early, she would greet them. She would get ready and go off to her new school. We're very fortunate to, have our super bougie Montessori school where they have really great, um, they're just doing a really great job with keeping kids safe. They have a lot of outdoor space. So the the kids have been in these pods where they kind of rotate them. And um, so I haven't heard as many scares happening there as, as some other daycares that are smaller, their facilities are smaller. But like you said, today there was a, you know, we got five minutes before we're dropping off. It's like, Hey, alert. Somebody has COVID at the school and it's a kid. And like, this is this, the second, no, I think this is only the second student in the whole time that has contracted COVID that we've known about. Um, they tell us they're, they're pretty candid and they say like, how are you? Are you comfortable? Do you feel like we can do anything better? Do you want to keep your kid home? Like whatever you need to do, just do it. But, um, the child was in another room. We feel she's as safe as she's going to be. And I don't think that like keeping her home today when that student hasn't been there all week is going to make any difference in the scheme of things. We do have her tested. Um, like, so anytime like cough, sneeze, anything like we just chop has a drive through and it's literally like, did hear about that. And is it the, is it the exact same test, no matter what age you are, like jamming a Q-tip up poor little Violet's nose? Yeah. We call it the um, nose tickler. And it's really funny because you just like drive in, like, uh, right. You go to like chops loading dock and a nurse literally pops in the back seat and like shoves a Q-tip up your kid's nose. (laughs) 
and then you like peel out of the driveway and it's it's really the resilience that kids have like even at her age like she's been wearing a mask since she was 18 months old she's like that's weird that's crazy also like because everybody's like oh I don't want my kid to wear a mask I feel so bad and they're like we were wearing masks. And so she's like, why don't I wear a mask? Like, I, I want to do this. And so like, we were in the house and she would just be wearing a mask <laughs> and we're like, okay. But then like that comfort brought her to like where she is now. And she goes to school. She's in a room with um, kids who are under the age of three and they wear a mask every day, all of them. And, you know, you see pictures and they're all around their necks and stuff, but for the most part, they're, they're doing it. And But, um, as a mom, like, that's a hard thing, like to see that interaction. Part of the reason we went with making sure that she got into school, not just so we could work in the, from the home, she would see, we would like, we live in like, you know, a busy street, like the busy street where everything is happening in South Philly. And we joke that she's the ambassador. Anytime somebody walks by, she sees a person, she's like, hi, I'm Violet. Hi. Hi. And she just wants to talk and say, hi. She's like, Hey, what are you doing? I'm Violet. I can walk. I can sing. I can dance. Look at me. And we're like, she needs a friend. Like she needs to see another child and we're not going to make one for her at this. So like <laughs> she needs to have friends. So we're going to put her in a school. And because you just see this desperation of kids that they don't know how to interact with one another. And I'm I'm really glad to hear that she's still so, you know, social and outgoing and really excited to kind of be present in the world. I had uh, my best friend from high school, they have a daughter a little bit older than um, Violet. And, you know, the original plan when we go back to Texas in a couple of weeks was to spend one night with her. Um, they have a pool, so go swimming the next day. And so, you know, a week ago, I texted her and said, you know, I'm more than happy to get a hotel room, um, you know, so we can still spend time outside during the day, but whatever you're most comfortable with, like, this is your child, your home, like, you let me know what what you'd like to do. And it's, I'm just going to drop her at my mom's house. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that is a solution. And she said on top of that, that her daughter has just been very weary around new people because, you know, I haven't seen them in two years. And so at such a young age, of course, she's not going to recognize me. And so I started thinking about because we don't have kids. And so um, it's interesting to hear about other people's experiences because, you know, all the children are going through so many different things. And I just love that you've created this brave space for your students. And I hope that this gets picked up by Oh, she get picked up everywhere. I feel like this should be like a mandatory thing, even in the workplace. Um, One of the positives about the the shutdown is that peace, people were forced to like, like the whole Zoom nation, there's like so many pluses and minuses. And I am sure like, I know Ben's doing his own podcast, but like he saw so many things happen like in his teaching on Zoom that were kind of negative where like students like gain Zoom muscles, things you would never say to a professor, ways that you wouldn't act in front of it a professor, like you would flex online because like, who's going to say anything and you can just bounce, like you close your computer and you're gone. And like, you didn't see that for me, it was completely different. Like kids felt kids that were like, I mean, cause you've got these, like, I mean, with, with little kids, like you've got these heavy hitters that are throwing desks and causing, you know, crazy things to happen in the classroom, yelling at each other, you know, just, you know, 
you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on with them right at first. But the kids all like constantly fight and there's drama. And then when on Zoom, like one, the blessing of being able to mute all children at one time, that's an amazing thing that somebody needs to create for the live version of book teaching. But you also have like students that don't want to be seen in that way, looking at themselves in, in a, their reflection, seeing themselves, they're not behaving that way. Like if you had a mirror in front of you while you were in the classroom, seeing the way that you're acting and not being able to control yourself, you get a little bit more control. And so that was nice. Like, and you also, it allowed me to see what was happening behind them. Like I saw when a certain student's parent had three handles on the counter. I saw when mom was walking by at 1.30 in the afternoon in her pajamas, looking like she was really tired. And so like, this isn't me judging. This is me seeing like, okay. some little insight into their home life and a little bit of their experience. Oh, is that your cousin? Are they staying with you? Okay. How many people are at your house? There's 13 people staying in your, in your house right now. I see why you fell asleep during class or you didn't make it on time. And I don't have to ask. Mm-hmm. I don't have to. And so that's something like where I, in the classroom, I can kind of piece things together, but I kind of figured it out just like knowing my students and, you know, babies being born parents. I mean, I had so many, I had so many kids and parents have COVID. I had a, a student whose grandmother died in the house with COVID like right before class. And she was like, I got to go. Like I, like, it was just like, there were so many things happening that like, that was craziness, but like, and I know we were talking about Violet, but like for us, like knowing that she was in a space where teachers were looking after her and keeping her happy and helping her interact with other students and build her social skills was the most important thing. And that was my responsibility for my students in my online class, as well as live. So like, you know, that's, yeah. Teaching and parenting are kind of like the same thing. You just, just kind of seamless. <laughs> well, I really wanted to talk about one of your other passions that uh, was obviously hindered by the pandemic is your, your musical theater background. You went to, um, did you, you went to the, the high school for performing arts here in Philadelphia, correct? I went to Kappa. Um, I was actually kicked out of Kappa. So I did. <laughs> George Washington High School in the Northeast, but um, it was fine. Um, But I also went to college for it. I went to Point Park University in Pittsburgh for music theater, um, where I also danced. uh, And I did a ton of shows coming back to Philly and um, and Philly area and as well as in Pittsburgh and New Jersey and New York. But um, the... I've continued on, like I kind of stopped when we moved to Ireland and then, um, well, because I had a child. And so (laughs) as soon as I came back over, I've always had this like singing gig with a producer, Larry McKenna, who we did this girls of summer where we sang myself and four other girls sang songs from the sixties and we did it down the shore. So much fun. So when I came back, he kind of reached out and said, Hey, I want to do like, I'm doing these shows and I would love for you. I think your voice would sound great in Carly Simon songs um, with a full band and some backup singers. So we did it. We did the first show two years ago, 2019. Um, It was a like, we perform out in Mount Gretna and then it gets 
booked and picked up like other places. So when we performed out in Hershey, it's 104 degrees outside. And it's like Violet was this tiny little baby and she was like puking on Ben and I'm singing, you know, um, you're so vain on stage. And, and it was a lot, it's a lot of fun, but it's also a way for me to like do one gig that's running and getting booked and not be an exhausted teacher. So like I was doing that and I do cabarets and such as a, as a soloist and in duets and then pandemic hit and nothing. So the show was canceled. We were supposed to, we had like a couple shows booked for the Carly Simon and I had a couple cabarets booked and they were all canceled. Um, as well as like any other auditions or anything I might've gone on just done and everything just kind of stopped. And then now it's picked back up. So. And you have a performance coming up uh, and in the next couple of weeks, which the, this episode will air after you've already had your performance, but will it, in theory, if <laughs> will will the Carly Simon show then continue on? Like, will you have like future dates? Yeah, there should be, I think, I think we actually just booked a show for one in October. Um, ideally we'll perform like once a month here or there, like it'll get picked up and booked. Um, but there are some other cabarets. Um, I'm talking with Violet's music teacher about performing in the music space in the Italian market that he works out of. Oh yeah, Mr. Um, John's music, right? Yes. We were talking about that this weekend. Love Mr. John. He is incredible. And, um, I'm going to try and like, since that whole time without being, not that I'm not singing in the house and a lot of it ends up being like a lullaby to Violet, you know, during the pandemic. And then it's not, um, an outlet for me. There's no real outlet for me, which that was always like, okay, well I didn't, I'm no longer pursuing this as my active career, but I have this outlet. I sing or I can get on stage and I can rehearse and, be around other people that love this and practice this. And then it was just like, okay, none of that. And so now I'm at, I'm working with a friend where, who is, we're workshopping his new play that he wrote and we're doing the Carly Simon thing. And so I've got that creative part of myself that sings and produce in works in music. And I have teaching and I have parenting and being a partner and it's separate. Like I still have my own part of myself that I, the last couple of years, like haven't really, you know, haven't been able to do that. And then another, um, former career as well. Did you start bartending while you were in college? Is that kind of like where the, the bartending portion of Lauren began? <laughs> yeah. My, one of my nine lives. um, the, I started working in restaurants when I was like 14. I lied and said I was 18. I got a job at a pizza place in Albany that like served like, like, I mean, and they served drinks that they weren't supposed to. And then Mr. Pizza at fifth and Albany, it's still there. But, um, then I worked at this place called Svitios, which is actually by, it's where Zahav is now okay. that used to be called Svitios. And it was like, it was run by Joe Palumbo and his family. And, I, um, that was like when I first started like pouring drinks and, and bartending and stuff. And then when I went to college, I worked at McCormick and Schmick's and that's when like, I mean, it's not really the same now, but McCormick and Schmick's used to be like the scratch bar. So they taught you like everything step-by-step, step, like how to do like bar tricks, but also like how to mass produce lots of like fresh made handcrafted cocktails. So like 
if somebody ordered six lemonades and six lemon drops and 10 Guinness, you would line up all your pint glasses and make them all one by one on the service bar and have them out in like five minutes. And so like, I learned how to be a speed scratch bartender, but it also like, I got really good at working service and making cocktails like efficiently and quick. And I also like to talk to people, but I didn't like to do both, which sort of like, I was always because yeah, like, at the bar you've got the service bar where mm-hmm. the the primary responsibility for service bars you're making drinks for the tables so like the servers mm-hmm. are coming up um to get drinks from the service bar to give to their tables yeah. versus the bartender who is servicing the customers who are at the bar right and being personable and because you're you're getting paid directly from those customers and so I was good at either doing one or the other because I was like the bitchy service bartender that kept the servers in line, (laughs) (laughs) the bitchy bartender to everybody. I mean, I was like 20. And so I, that kind of lasted with me. Like I, I really enjoyed bartending, but had to work on my personality skills. Like, cause I was, I couldn't do both. And then anybody, the girl out of Northeast Philly, but not the Northeast Philly out the girl. Yeah. Cause (laughs) it'd be like, all right, pick up your drinks, pick up your drinks. What do you want? What do you want? Like, that's disgusting whiskey. Don't order that. Like it's, you know, but, um, and then you, I, when you came to Philly, you, uh, worked at Ella under Jason yeah. Chazonsky. And I feel like that's where I got to spend a lot of time with you was visiting, um, the bar at Ella and getting to taste your absolutely exquisite cocktails. I really yeah. enjoyed them. And you had mentioned that, um, uh, that some of your cocktails have actually been published. Yeah. So when I was in Pittsburgh, I left McCormick and Schmicks to work at a place called Sonoma Grill and the bartender or the, the bar manager, uh, restaurant manager there, Randy, we started to build drinks together. And that's when I really got um, interested in, in designing craft cocktails. And he, like, he basically like, let me do whatever I wanted. And we had so much fun doing that myself and my friend Jess and other bartenders there. And uh, my friend Brian, who also followed me to Philly and worked at Southwark. So like yep. we ended up, he went to Southwark and I went to Ella. And when, after like the experiences with Randy and building his list, going to Ella and then Ella getting a lot of recognition when they opened, um, I was nominated for Star Chefs. And so um, with Star Chefs, they, you know, they pull your cocktails, whichever like people say you're like the people's favorite or the bar favorite. and so was one cocktail I made my nine ride shotgun and cause everything was named after brand new song titles. And so that cocktail was one that was published in the star chef's cookbook. And then, um, I have some other friends. Um, when I went over to Laquan, the written house, the written house cocktails, anything that's in their menus are, are published. And so the, or some of the cocktails in there, but, um, this, the star chefs and a lot of the Ella cocktails. Um, I feel like I was somewhere in between those two places, but, uh, those are the ones that those like are the bars that have my heart. Oh, I was at R2L for, Oh yeah. yeah. That was the first place that I was after, um, coming from Pittsburgh. And that's I where know. I met like a lot of my, my super close friends that I'm still friends with here that we all went to like separate bars and then I guess you uh finished your time at library bar when you moved to Dublin right yeah that was um so my last um they were so good to me at the Rittenhouse in the library bar because I was 
finishing my master's working. Um, so I still had classes at night and then I was student teaching during the day. So I taught at Greenfield elementary and I would work, I would be there at seven and I would leave there at three 45 and then go to the library bar at four and close the bar. And so I would get done around 12 walk down to Carpenter street and then, um, do it all again the next day. And so they kind of library bar kind of let me fade out and just do weekends and like one night during the week. Um, cause it was just, it was, it was too much. And, um, but yeah. And then when I finished my master's, I moved to Dublin and had a baby. <laughs> Everybody's plan in yep. life. Um, and we were super excited when you guys moved back to Philly. We love having you here. Um, so one of the last questions that I'll ask you today is what is your favorite venue? <sighs> That's a hard one. Cause I've been, I've been a lot of places and I've been fortunate to travel a lot. Um, I have to say, I don't quite know what my favorite venue is, but my favorite, I think possibly because it broke the, broke my seal from the pandemic. We were just at the, the Fillmore. <laughs> And the way the transformation from, so my friend that was married there, one, they're like, they, it, the wedding was just beautiful, but the transformation from before the wedding cocktails in the one room, having the wedding and then leaving for more cocktails and then coming back and the transformation from where the wedding ceremony was and like the stage being built up, like it was, it, it was I mean, their, their theme was kind of like Woodstock meets studio 54 and okay. so like <laughs> flowers and neon balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, Whoa, but, um, and it was just amazing. And so that it was a really cool, but also that's like real rock and roll feel that they both have like in this very like cool, just, I don't know. Like I thought that was really cool. And as far as like there's, there's nothing about the space that I'd be walking and be like, wow, this is beautiful. It was everything that was put in it and, and how it was styled, but it was, it was really cool and really well done. Um, I always thought like in, as far as like a place that would be a really cool spot to have a wedding would be like uh, the Coliseum in Greece where like, it's all like, like, this is be a dope spot to throw a raid, <laughs> you know, like, be like, okay, let's just like rage here. And, but I'm very Do they old. throw parties at the Coliseum? No, I think it's frowned upon. I would have, I would assume so. I would assume so. Like, you know, there's still like dig we were when we were in Greece, they literally found an artifact from like three BC, like three, year three. So like they had shut down like the whole street because they found stuff and it was like, but I just thought it would be a really cool place. I'm like, ah, I'm gonna get married there. I feel like there are a variety of like kitschy-esque venues that have set that up um yeah. with the columns and everything so obviously like not Palace the same thing and yeah but it's you know it takes away that like that authentic dirt floor feel <laughs> did the did the setup at the Fillmore was it reminiscent of kind of like how sets are designed for like musical theater productions like did it kind of seem not musical theater it was very like a Rolling Stone magazine almost like they had a VW bus inside that had like, I mean, it was, I'll show you pictures from this so more like a photo shoot. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it was, 
it was really, it was, it was designed to be like you were going to a rock show. Like if you were going to a show and you were in it, like you, you picked up, like you could pick up your merch and like, it was all like the wedding stuff. And then you could like, it was just, it was so them and their wedding photos were album covers. So they did, um, they're like my, my friends that they're so weird and they do every Halloween, they dress up as like do a couple's dress up, but like, you know, it's Sonny and Cher, Simon and Garfunkel. Like it's always that. And so they had all their albums out like John and Yoko and have they ever done Hall and Oates? Yes. I will show you all these pictures. Like they're, they're, I mean, she's a makeup artist and, uh, an esthetician. So like, you know, and one of their like wedding vows were like, don't ever skimp on wigs. Like don't ever go for the cheap wig. It's just like a really funny thing, but it was a space like, I mean, it was a rock and roll space. Like it was a rock and roll wedding and they were, it was pretty cool. Like, well, Lauren, can you let our listeners know how they can follow you? Um, and any sort of like show updates or where they can see you perform? Yeah, um, you can follow me at Miss Oaf of Show. That's my Instagram handle. And that I think is where I put most of anything going on with me. So if I'm ever doing a show, I'm going to post it on there. Um, kind and of also be prepared for some adorable violet pictures. Yeah, um, it's almost every, basically it's all pictures of my daughter and that's it. But they are very entertaining. She She is a natural born performer for sure. That she is. That she is. She. <laughs> Three major. I love yeah. it. Three major. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, follow Beyond the Venue podcast on Instagram and check us out on all of your favorite streaming platforms. Have a great day. <laughs>